Hey there! I'm so happy you've joined me for this day, day number 170. May the readings today bless you, my friend. May you find power and strength through what we hear today in God's Word. Today we read 2 Samuel 20, our first reading in Psalm 118 and John chapter 2. So let's turn to 2 Samuel 20. Yesterday we heard the story of how David sent out his army under three commanders, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. He gave them orders to deal gently with Absalom. Joab, who was always pragmatic, didn't do this. Along with Absalom, 20,000 men died in the civil war. Joab stopped David's mourning for his son and ordered him to go out to encourage his troops. And finally, the people decided to bring David back as their king. 2 Samuel 20 There happened to be in Gilgal a worthless character named Sheba, son of Bikri, of the tribe of Benjamin. He blew the trumpet and called out, down with David, we won't follow him. Men of Israel, let's go home. So the Israelites deserted David and went with Sheba, but the men of Judah remained loyal and followed David from the Jordan to Jerusalem. When David arrived at his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them under guard. He provided for their needs, but did not have intercourse with them. They were kept confined for the rest of their lives, living like widows. The king said to Amasa, Call the men of Judah together and be back here with them by the day after tomorrow. Amasa went to call them, but he did not get back by the time the king had told him to. So the king said to Abishai, Sheba will give us more trouble than Absalom. Take my men and go after him, or else he may occupy some fortified towns and escape from us. So Joab's men, the royal guards, and all the other soldiers left Jerusalem with Abishai to go after Sheba. When they reached the large rock at Gibeon, Amasa met them. Joab was dressed for battle, with a sword in its sheath fastened to his belt. As he came forward, the sword fell out. Joab said to Amasa, How are you, my friend? And took hold of his beard with his right hand in order to kiss him. Amasa was not on guard against the sword that Joab was holding in his other hand. And Joab stabbed him in the belly, and his insides spilled out on the ground. He died immediately, and Joab did not have to strike again. Then Joab and his brother Abishai went on after Sheba. One of Joab's men stood by Amasa's body and called out, Everyone who is for Joab and David, follow Joab. Amasa's body, covered with blood, was lying in the middle of the road. Joab's man saw that everybody was stopping, so he dragged the body from the road out into the field and threw a blanket over it. After the body had been removed from the road, everyone followed Joab in pursuit of Sheba. 
Sheba passed through the territory of all the tribes of Israel and came to the city of Abel Beth Maaka. And all the members of the clan of Bikri assembled and followed him into the city. Joab's men heard that Sheba was there, and so they went and besieged the city. They built ramps of earth against the outer wall and began to dig under the wall to make it fall down. There was a wise woman in the city who shouted from the wall, Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here. I want to speak with him. Joab went and she asked, Are you Joab? Yes, I am. Listen to me, sir. I'm listening. Long ago they used to say, Go and get your answer in the city of Abel, and that's just what they did. Ours is a great city, one of the most peaceful and loyal in Israel. Why are you trying to destroy it? Do you want to ruin what belongs to the Lord? Never, Joab answered. I will never ruin or destroy your city. That is not our plan. A man named Sheba, son of Bikri, who is from the hill country of Ephraim, started a rebellion against King David. Hand over this one man, and I will withdraw from the city. We will throw his head over the wall to you, she said. Then she went to the people of the city with her plan, and they cut off Sheba's head and threw it over the wall to Joab. He blew the trumpet as a signal for his men to leave the city, and they went back home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. Joab was in command of the army of Israel. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was in charge of David's bodyguards. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was in charge of the records. Sheva was the court secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Eura from the town of Jair was also one of David's priests. Let's turn for the first time to Psalm 118. This is one of the antiphonal psalms. Imagine a leader and all the congregation saying the refrain. One of the most often quoted verses about the Messiah is found in verse 22, and I have quoted verse 23 at the beginning of a number of podcasts. Our first reading in Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, and his love is eternal. Let the people of Israel say, His love is eternal. Let the priests of God say, His love is eternal. Let all who worship him say, His love is eternal. In my distress I called to the Lord. He answered me and set me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? It is the Lord who helps me, and I will see my enemies defeated. 
It is better to trust in the Lord than to depend on people. It is better to trust in the Lord than to depend on human leaders. Many enemies were around me, but I destroyed them by the power of the Lord. They were around me on every side, but I destroyed them by the power of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees, but they burned out as quickly as a brush fire. By the power of the Lord I destroyed them. I was fiercely attacked and was being defeated, but the Lord helped me. The Lord makes me powerful and strong. He has saved me. Listen to the glad shouts of victory in the tents of God's people. The Lord's mighty power has done it. His power brought us victory, His mighty power in battle. Let's turn for the first time to John chapter 2. John uses simple words such as light, word, lamb, and door, but the concepts he deals with are anything but simple. The meaning goes deep, so deep that you could spend a lifetime studying the prologue in chapter 1 alone and never get to the bottom of it. Note also that John very artistically makes use of double meaning, using a word with two meanings simultaneously. Note how Jesus and the writer, John, artfully hint at the story of Jacob at the end of chapter 1. Jesus calls Nathanael a true son of Israel. Israel is one of Jacob's names, and Jacob's name means cheater. And then Jesus paradoxically calls Nathanael a man of complete integrity. Finally, Jesus didn't need to make it obvious to his hearers, and John didn't need to explain to his readers that Jesus was quoting from the Jacob's Ladder story. Just a few words and the previous hint were plenty to imply this. Jesus is claiming to be the way, or the ladder, to the Father. The way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 2 Two days later there was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine had given out, Jesus' mother said to him, They're out of wine. You must not tell me what to do, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Jesus' mother then told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. The Jews have rules about ritual washing, and for this purpose six stone water jars were there each one large enough to hold between twenty and thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill these jars with water, and they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, Now draw some water out and take it to the man in charge of the feast. 
They took him the water, which now had turned into wine, and he tasted it. He did not know where this wine had come from, but of course the servants who had drawn out the water knew. So he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone else serves the best wine first, and after the guests have drunk a lot, he serves the ordinary wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. Jesus performed this miracle in Cana in Galilee. There he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, Jesus and his mother, brothers, and disciples went to Capernaum and stayed there a few days. It was almost time for the Passover festival, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. There in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables. So he made a whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins, and he ordered those who sold the pigeons, Take them out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that the scripture says, My devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What miracle can you perform to show that you have the right to do this? Jesus answered, Tear down this temple, and in three days I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days? they asked him. It has taken forty-six years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. While Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in him as they saw the miracles he performed. But Jesus did not trust himself to them, because he knew them all. There was no need for anyone to tell him about them, because he himself knew what was in their hearts. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful messianic psalm we started to read today. Jesus himself would have said while on earth, In my distress I called to the Lord, meaning you, O Lord God, and he answered me and set me free. Jesus himself tells us, It is better to trust in the Lord than to depend on humans or human leaders. We worship you, O Lord. Your love is eternal. Nothing can separate us from your love. There is not one thing that can stop you from loving us. Lord Jesus, you knew that your words about tearing down the temple would be thrown up against you in your trial and while you hung on the cross. 
Ironically, the Jewish leaders saw the miracle they asked for that showed you had the right to cleanse the temple. Lord, we see here that you indeed know what is in people's hearts. We cannot hide anything from you. Instead, we ask that we might worship you in spirit, that is, with all the help of the Holy Spirit's cleansing and empowering, and in truth, that is, sincerely from the heart, not hypocritically, and in accordance with all the true teachings you have brought us. Hey there, it's my joy to welcome you to day number 171. Today we read 2 Samuel 21, our second reading in Psalm 118, and our second reading of John 2. Let's turn now to 2 Samuel 21. The story of David being welcomed back ended poorly with arguments. Sheba attempted to mount a revolt. He died even though surrounded by his clan members because there was a wise woman in the town where he was taking refuge. Before that, David had decided to promote national reconciliation by appointing Amasa as military commander. But Joab, who had grown too powerful, shamefully put an end to Amasa's career. 2 Samuel 21 During David's reign there was a severe famine which lasted for three full years. So David consulted the Lord about it, and the Lord said, Saul and his family are guilty of murder. He put the people of Gibeon to death. The people of Gibeon were not Israelites. They were a small group of Amorites whom the Israelites had promised to protect. But Saul had tried to destroy them because of his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. So David summoned the people of Gibeon and said to them, What can I do for you? I want to make up for the wrong that was done to you, so that you will bless the Lord's people. They answered, Our quarrel with Saul and his family can't be settled with silver or gold, nor do we want to kill any Israelite. What then do you think I should do for you? David asked. They answered, Saul wanted to destroy us and leave none of us alive anywhere in Israel, so hand over seven of his male descendants, and we will hang them before the Lord at Gibeah, the hometown of Saul, the Lord's chosen king. I will hand them over, the king answered. But because of the sacred promise that he and Jonathan had made to each other, David spared Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul. However, he took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons that Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, had borne to Saul. 
He also took the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai, who was from Mahola. David handed them over to the people of Gibeon, who hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and all seven of them died together. It was late in the spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest, when they were put to death. Then Saul's concubine, Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, used sackcloth to make a shelter for herself on the rock where the corpses were. And she stayed there from the beginning of harvest until the autumn rains came. During the day she would keep the birds away from the corpses, and at night she would protect them from wild animals. When David heard what Rizpah had done, he went and got the bones of Saul and of his son Jonathan from the people of Jabesh in Gilead. They had stolen them from the public square in Bethshon, where the Philistines had hanged the bodies on the day they killed Saul on Mount Gilboa. David took the bones of Saul and Jonathan and also gathered up the bones of the seven men who had been hanged. Then they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan in the grave of Saul's father, Kish, in Zela, in the territory of Benjamin, doing all that the king had commanded. And after that, God answered their prayers for the country. There was another war between the Philistines and Israel, and David and his men went and fought the Philistines. During one of the battles, David grew tired. A giant named Ishbibenob, who was carrying a bronze spear that weighed about seven and a half pounds, and who was wearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to David's help, attacked the giant, and killed him. Then David's men made David promise that he would never again go out with them to battle. You are the hope of Israel, and we don't want to lose you, they said. After this there was a battle with the Philistines at Gob, during which Sibekai from Husha killed a giant named Saph. There was another battle with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan son of Jair from Bethlehem killed Goliath from Goth, whose spear had a shaft as thick as the bar on a weaver's loom. Then there was another battle at Goth, where there was a giant who loved to fight, he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He defied the Israelites, and Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shammah, killed him. These four were descendants of the giants of Goth, and they were killed by David and his men. And now we turn for the second time to Psalm 118. This is an antiphonal psalm. Imagine a leader and a chorus of voices saying a series of refrains. Today we will hear verse 22, which is the Old Testament verse most frequently quoted about the Messiah in the New Testament. 
And I have quoted verse 23 from other versions at the beginning of a number of podcasts. Psalm 118, starting at verse 14. The Lord makes me powerful and strong. He has saved me. Listen to the glad shouts of victory in the tents of God's people. The Lord's mighty power has done it. His power has brought us victory, His mighty power in battle. I will not die. Instead, I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. He has punished me severely, but He has not let me die. Open to me the gates of the temple, and I will go in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Only the righteous can come in. I praise you, Lord, because you heard me, because you have given me victory. The stone which the builders rejected as worthless turned out to be the most important of all. This was done by the Lord. What a wonderful sight it is. This is the day of the Lord's victory. Let us be happy. Let us celebrate. Save us, Lord. Save us. Give us success, O Lord. May God bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. From the temple of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has been good to us. With branches in your hands, start the festival and march around the altar. You are my God, and I give you thanks. I will proclaim your greatness. Give thanks to the Lord, because He is good, and His love is eternal. And now let's return to John 2. In John chapter 1 and 2, John has already begun to tell us what Jesus was like. He was able to enter in fully in a wedding feast. He was stern about not turning the temple into a marketplace. In chapter 1 verse 24 in the NLT, it says that he knew all about people. The GNT is closer to the Greek with, He knew them all. Jesus had miraculous knowledge about people like we have seen in chapter 1 with Nathanael. John chapter 2 Two days later there was a wedding feast in the town of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus, with his disciples, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine had given out, Jesus' mother said to him, They are out of wine. You must not tell me what to do, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Jesus' mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. The Jews have rules about ritual washing, and for this purpose 
Six stone water jars were there, each one large enough to hold between twenty and thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill these jars with water. They filled them to the brim, and then he told them, Now draw some water out and take it to the man in charge of the feast. They took the water to him, which now had turned into wine, and he tasted it. He did not know where this wine had come from, but of course the servants who had drawn out the water knew. So he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone else serves the best wine first, and after the guests have drunk a lot, he serves the ordinary wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. Jesus performed this first miracle in Cana in Galilee. There he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, Jesus and his mother, brothers, and disciples went to Capernaum and stayed there a few days. It was almost time for the Passover festival, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. There in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables. So he made a whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins, and he ordered those who sold the pigeons, Take them out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that the scripture says, My devotion to your house, O Lord, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Jesus answered, Tear down this temple, and in three days I will build it again. They said to him, Are you going to build it again in three days? It has taken us forty-six years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. While Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in him as they saw the miracles he performed. But Jesus did not trust himself to them, because he knew them all. There was no need for anyone to tell him about them, because he himself knew what was in people's hearts. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your answer in this chapter of John where you referred to your body as this temple. As we will read in Hebrews, we enter into the most holy place through the curtain, which is your own body. So we rejoice to say with the psalmist, Open to me the gates of the temple. I will go in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. 
only the righteous can come in. And in John's Gospel, you tell us that you are the gate or door for the sheep. You say, all who come in by me will be saved. Yes, Lord, we are your sheep who enter, and in doing so we are put right with God through you. Again, we give you thanks with all our hearts, the temple, the gate, and the stone. In the psalm, we read of the temple, the gate, and the stone. You are our cornerstone, or the capstone of the arch. You, Lord, are the stone which the builders rejected as worthless. But the Lord God, your Father, has made you the most important stone of all. How wonderful and precious this is in our sight. So therefore, this is the day of the Lord's victory. We will be happy and rejoice today, because we are living in union with you. Hey, hi there. Here I am again, the voice behind the play button. This is episode number 172. But I don't think of you as the one who just hits the button, but as my brother or sister in Christ. So I send my love out to you, and I'm glad for the opportunity to read these scriptures to you today. Today there's only two readings— 2 Samuel 22 and John 3. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 22. We near the end of David's story. God gave him victory over Sheba and the house of Saul. The killing of seven of the descendants of Saul, to us, seems harsh and past the statute of limitations. But God arranged that revenge in response to untold injustices that were wreaked by Saul on the Gibeonites. Note, God takes notice of covenants made and wants us to do what we promise in his name. And now, in chapter 22, David's song of praise includes ideas from the Psalms, but does not seem to be an extended quote from any one of them as far as I can find in my sources. Because of this long poetic section today, we skip a day reading from the Psalms. Second Samuel 22 When the Lord saved David from Saul and his other enemies, David sang this song to the Lord. You, Lord, are my protector. You are my strong fortress. You, my God, are my protection, and with you I'm safe. You protect me like a shield. You defend me and keep me safe. You are my Savior. You protect me and save me from violence. When I call to you, Lord, you save me from my enemies. I praise you, Lord. 
The waves of death were all around me. The waves of destruction rolled over me. The danger of death was around me, and the grave set its trap for me. In my trouble I called to you, Lord. I called to you, my God, for help. In your temple you heard my voice. You listened to my cry for help. Then the earth trembled and shook. The foundations of the sky rocked and quivered, because you, O my God, were angry. Smoke poured out of your nostrils, a consuming flame and burning coals from your mouth. You tore the sky open and came down with a dark cloud under your feet. You flew swiftly on your winged creature. You traveled on the wings of the wind. You covered yourself with darkness. Thick clouds full of water surrounded you. Burning coals flamed up from the lightning before you. Then you, O my Lord, thundered from the sky, and the voice of Almighty God was heard. You shot your arrows and scattered your enemies. With flashes of lightning you sent them running. The floor of the ocean was laid bare, and the foundations of the earth were uncovered. When you, O Lord, rebuked your enemies and roared at them in anger. You, Lord, reached down from above and took hold of me. You pulled me out of the deep waters. You rescued me from my powerful enemies and from all those who hate me. They were too strong for me. When I was in trouble, they attacked me. But you, O Lord, protected me. You helped me out of danger. You saved me because you were pleased with me. You, Lord, reward me because I do what is right. You bless me because I am innocent. I have obeyed your law, O Lord. I have not turned away from you, my God. I have observed all your laws. I have not disobeyed your commands. You know that I am faultless, that I have kept myself from doing wrong. And so you reward me because I do what is right, because you know that I'm innocent. O Lord, you are faithful to those who are faithful to you, and completely good to those who are perfect. You are pure to those who are pure, but hostile to those who are wicked. You save those who are humble, but you humble those who are proud. You, Lord, are my light. You dispel my darkness. You give me strength to attack my enemies and power to overcome their defenses. You, O oh God, how perfect are your deeds, how dependable your words. You are like a shield for all who seek your protection. You, Lord, alone are God. You, O oh God, alone are our defense. You are my strong refuge. 
You make my pathway safe. You make me sure-footed like a deer. You keep me safe on the mountains. You train me for battle so that I can use the strongest bow. O Lord, you protect and save me. Your help has made me great. You have kept me from being captured, and I have never fallen. I pursue my enemies and defeat them. I do not stop until I destroy them. I strike them down, and they cannot rise. They lie defeated before me. You give me strength for the battle and victory over my enemies. You make my enemies run from me. I destroy those who hate me. They look for help, but no one saves them. They call out to you, Lord, but you don't answer. I crush them, and they become like dust. I trample on them like mud in the streets. You saved me from my rebellious people and maintained my rule over the nations. People I did not know have now become my subjects. Foreigners bow down to me. When they hear me, they obey. They lose their courage and come trembling from their fortresses. You, Lord, live. Praise be to you, my defender. Let everyone proclaim your greatness, the greatness of the strong God who saves me. You give me victory over my enemies. You subdue the nations under me and save me from my foes. O Lord, you give me victory over my enemies and protect me from violent men. And so I praise you among the nations. I sing praises to you. You, O God, give great victories to your king. You show constant love to the one you have chosen, to David and his descendants forever. Let's turn to one of the most beloved of all chapters in the Bible, John chapter 3. John's gospel is unique in having the story of the wedding at Cana, which we heard yesterday in chapter 2. The coming to Galilee and working a miracle there seems to have been significant for John, as he later highlights when this happens a second time. John moved the story of the cleansing of the temple to the beginning of his gospel. I think that this is because he wanted to highlight the conflicts between Jesus and the Jews. Note that in verse 19, Jesus doesn't say, I will destroy this temple. But destroy imperative as a challenge to the Jewish leaders. Nett's note indicates that this is a form that reminds one of some words of the prophets. John chapter 3 There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night he went to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. 
Jesus answered, I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? Nicodemus asked. He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. Do not be surprised because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? asked Nicodemus. Jesus answered, You are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this? I'm telling you the truth. We speak of what we know and report of what we have seen, yet none of you is willing to accept our message. You do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then when I tell you about the things of heaven? And no one has ever gone up to heaven except me, the Son of Man, who came down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to be its judge, but to be its Savior. Those who believe in the Son are not judged, but those who do not believe have already been judged, because they have not believed in God's only Son. This is how the judgment works. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. Those who do evil things hate the light and will not come to the light, because they do not want their evil deeds to be shown up. But those who do what is true come to the light, in order that the light may show that what they did was in obedience to God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the province of Judea, where he spent some time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing at Ainon, not far from Salim, because there was plenty of water in that place. People were going to him, and he was baptizing them. This was before John had been put in prison. Some of John's disciples began arguing with a Jew about the matter of ritual washing. So they went to John and told him, Teacher, you remember the man who was with you on the east side of the Jordan, the one you spoke about. Well, he is baptizing now, and everyone is going to him.
John answered, No one can have anything unless God gives it. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have come, but I have been sent ahead of him. The bridegroom is the one to whom the bride belongs, but the bridegroom's friend, who stands by and listens, is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This is how my own happiness is made complete. He must become more important, while I become less important. He who comes from above is greater than all. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly matters. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He tells what he has seen and heard, yet so few accept his message. But whoever accepts his message confirms by this that God is truthful. The one whom God has sent speaks God's words, because God gives him the fullness of his Spirit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything in his power. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not have life, but will remain under God's punishment. Let's pray together. Our Lord Christ Jesus, you are our victorious King. When David prayed about forever, it was you he was talking about. We thank you that you are the promised son of David, and you are the son of man whom Daniel saw in heaven receiving such great praise. You are the one who has come down from heaven, and so you are the one qualified to tell us of heavenly matters. If there is one of my listeners who is still waiting to make the choice of believing in you, I ask you that today you would move him or her from living under judgment to living according to the truth, from refusal to believe to believing in you, from living in the dark to living in the light from proud, sinful independence to humbly admitting their need of a Savior, from rejecting your gracious offer to being spiritually reborn. And all of us who have made that choice before you today, we bow in humble gratitude and praise. And... As followers of the Son of Man, we ask you, our Father, please be with us today as you were with David.